Hey there, this is Steve Lee with Veritas Catholic Network. Last week, Bishop Caggiano issued a pastoral exhortation to reinvigorate each individual Catholic in the diocese and the diocese as a whole. He specifically wants to bring back those who have fallen away from the faith and he has a plan to do it. We'll discuss it on today's Let Me Be Frank. Before we get there, I hope you're making full use of all the great programming we have on Veritas Catholic Network, uh, from news and current events to spiritual devotions and richness uh, to help for you and your family. One of those great shows is on every Friday at noon. It's called Restless and it features four 30-year-olds. It's Father Joseph Gill and three of his friends and they talk about stuff that matters to young adults, um, work, family, relationships, life as a Catholic young adult in today's society. So tune your radio to 1350 AM or download the Veritas Catholic Network app and take Catholic Radio with you wherever you go. More information is at www.veritascatholic.com. All right, welcome back to Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network, everybody. It is my pleasure, as always, to introduce Bishop Frank Caggiano. Steve, good morning to you, my friend. Hi, Excellency. We have much to talk about. We do. You know, um, uh, before we jump into today's topic, I do want to point out, though, that today is our 52nd episode. So congratulations to you for being on the air for one year. And congratulations to our listeners who are patient enough to participate (laughs) for one year. Think of all the time they got off of purgatory. Really, seriously. (laughs) That's a great spiritual benefit. (laughs) Uh, I enjoy our time. I have to tell you, I enjoy our conversations because they are conversations. You're very easy... I mean, we've become friendly, which I, is a blessing, but you're very easy to speak with. It's just it's just natural in many ways. So I appreciate Thanks, the opportunity. Yeah. yeah and, you know, I, I would never uh, want to be presumptuous, but, you know, I, I feel like we've developed a, a good friendship here. And yes, I really, absolutely. Uh, I'm very edified by it. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Absolutely agree. Awesome. So now so, what's our topic today? Okay. So last week on Ash Wednesday... You mm-hmm. issued a beautifully written pastoral exhortation to the diocese that was, you know, I read it and it was infused with scripture. So mm-hmm. before we, we'll talk about that today, but before we get into the details, um, mm-hmm. you know, maybe take a step back and give us a macro view of, you know, what did you right. want to accomplish with this? Right. right. Perfect. Perfect question. Thank you to start because I think a person can read this document and say, Okay, where's the action items? Like, what are we doing? We're going out to do, convert the world. Where is it? And my response is, it's coming. It's coming. But the truth is, at this moment, what I believe the Lord is asking of us is time to spiritually be prepared for what lies ahead. And I think it's the ideal moment this Lent to do that. Now, what lies ahead is where the outward work begins. So this entire missionary outreach, which really demands a change in attitude for every single Catholic who is observant and faithful and wants to move the church to renewal. So in other words, this is not to the few, it's to the all. 
And the attitude change is we have to become decisive, deliberate, actively, outwardly geared to bring our faith to everywhere and anyone we go to. Whether you are a mother, a father, a teacher, a bishop, a priest, whomever it is. So that's the real ask, which can begin now. But you can't share what you don't have. So what the exhortation is all about is to say, in the months between now and summer, when COVID will still restrict our ability to visit with neighbors and friends and gather for dinner and all the rest, why don't we prepare ourselves by reinvigorating our own personal spiritual lives, right? And we could talk about some of that. Because what lies ahead is the great missionary outreach. And that will be a generation's worth of work. This is a 15-year initiative, at minimum, to be able to really root it in the life of the church. So, So the first is, let's slow down and get ready before we jump into action. Because if you're not ready and jump into action, it will not bear fruit. So that's the overall macro piece. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's why you have taken as a theme the upper room. Exactly. So set the scene for us, Excellency. Yeah. See, I had worked uh, with Deacon Pat Toole and the Murphy Center for Ignatian Spirituality, where Father Jerry was with us uh, almost a few weeks ago. Yes. And created a program called the Upper Room. And its purpose was to do exactly what I'm asking the entire diocese to do now. And that is to take time away um, in prayer and reflection to be able to go out and evangelize. In effect, what has happened is that COVID upended that. We began right before COVID struck. So that was about a year ago. Hmm. And in further reflection, I thought to myself, well, you know what? There were a few parishes involved. This is really something everyone should be doing. So in effect, in a sense, the genesis of the upper room image began there. But like I say in the letter, the upper room was the place where, what? That the Lord gathered his apostles the night before he died. Yes. To prepare them for what was coming and to feed them his sacred body and blood, as well as his word, both, so that they could be prepared to endure the suffering that was coming. He was also there where they gathered to discern what the Spirit was asking of them when they saw the risen Lord, but didn't have the courage to step out of the safety of the upper room. And then, having received the Holy Spirit, they went out into a cruel world and preached fearlessly the gospel. Now, doesn't that sound eerily where we are now? That we are basically held up in many ways in our homes, which is our upper room. And there the Lord wants to feed us word and sacrament. He wants to invite us to deepen our relationship because we have seen his presence. We all have. We do believe it. For those, you know, who who already have a life of prayer, we know the Lord is alive. We sense his presence. We see him. But now there will be an outpouring of the Holy Spirit so that we could do what the apostles did, go out into the world courageously and preach the gospel in so many different ways. That could be done in so many different ways. So in my mind, 
between the beginning of Lent and summer, we are all in the upper room, whatever that is for you and I. And don't waste it. In other words, don't sit here and wait for COVID to end, the pandemic to end, to get back to, to what we think we should be doing. Use this time as a privileged, special time of grace. And the three tools I ask is commitment to personal prayer, to be reconciled to the Lord, and to reacquaint ourselves with the beauty, the mystery, the power of the Holy Eucharist. And as more and more of, of, our, of our brothers and sisters come back to Sunday Mass, remember what we are coming back to and allow the Eucharistic Lord to deeply feed our spirits so that we can go out. We could talk about that. We can go out and we will go out and we will bring the world to faith. No doubt in my mind, we will do that. So that's basically the, the, the larger view of where I think we are right now. Oh my gosh, um, we are, this may be self-confession on my part, okay? So maybe I will become too personal. My spiritual struggle in life has always been to calm down because I am action-oriented. Everyone who works with me knows there's a thousand, it goes a thousand miles an hour and a thousand ideas a day. And they come to, they've come <laughs> to make peace with that because they realize from a thousand will go down to one, right? So, so they're in for the ride. So I've always been action-oriented. So this pastoral letter is written to myself as much as it's written to anybody else. And there's a part of me that just, just wants to get out there and, 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 and just invite people back and invite them to, to, to learn about scripture and to, to come to adoration and to hear their confession and, and, and all that needs to be done. But in Lent, it's inescapable that the Lord is saying, wait a minute, wait a minute. If you are going out, you are my ambassador. So why don't we spend time together first? And let me tell you what I think you really need to do. And then I'll walk with you with my grace and you will see miracles. But you got to do it my way. So you got to slow down enough and keep your mouth closed enough, long enough, so that I can tell you. <laughs> yeah, I see what you're saying. So because we have such a an active missionary phase coming, which you said will take you know, 15, 20 years of, of action. Before we do that, we need to recharge, refresh with the master first. Those gifts that the Holy Spirit gave to the apostles in the upper room, those are available to us, but we need to make ourselves available to them. In fact, we have already received them if we've had confirmation. Hmm. We already have the sevenfold gifts of the Holy Spirit. But like everything else that's a divine gift, it is a seed, a divine seed planted deep within our souls that is waiting to blossom if we allow them to, because the Lord never forces his grace, but he gives it freely. So in a sense, part of what I'm suggesting is that we have all received these seeds, and to some extent, we have all allowed them to blossom. As spring comes, we want them to blossom even further, even deeper, even more broadly, so that when we do have the ability to knock on someone's door or to invite someone to a meal or dinner 
or meet someone in a diner or congregate again as the men's group or as the Bible sharing group or the ladies altar society or as whatever, there will be a new zeal there. There's, there'll be a deeper fire there. So that when we say to Steve Lee, who has not been to Mass in 25 years, guess what? We miss you. And we want you to come home. And you'll say, why should I come home? Because you people do this and believe that and say this and blah and on and on and on. And then I will sit with you and say, well, let's, let's talk. Let's go through this. Right? And accompany you. <laughs> we have to make sure we're accompanying someone to a parish, to a community that's vibrant and alive and inviting and welcoming so that you'll stay. Otherwise, you'll say, I like you, Frank, but this community's for the birds. Yeah, <laughs> it's boring, right? Right, right. So, uh, so here in the upper room, then the way to start doing what you're saying, Excellency, is these three, these three kind of aspects of it, the personal prayer, the reconciliation, and the Holy Eucharist. Yes, and we should dive into each one. Yeah. Let, okay. Let's do that. Are you ready to do that now, Excellency? Yeah, anytime. <laughs> okay. Here we go. Okay. <laughs> Put on your scuba diving gear. We're diving, people. <laughs> Prayer. St. John Chrysostom in the office uh, on the Friday after Ash Wednesday makes the beautiful um, recognition that prayers and prayer are not the same thing. That prayer transcends words. Hmm. Prayer is a disposition of the heart. Prayer is the intuition and insight that is gathered in the very depth of a human person who is in the presence of the Lord he or she loves. It defies words, even though it uses words. So I'm going to give you an, an, an image. A couple married 40, 50, 60 years sits quietly in a living room. Perhaps one is reading a book and another is engaged in a crossword puzzle. And yet they intuit something so deep about each other that they don't need to talk about it to almost know what the other person is thinking. You see, that is a connection of love that is analogous to that which should exist as we mature in our discipleship. That's why adoration is such a powerful event because as John Biani says, I look at the Lord and the Lord looks back at me. So when I say personal prayer, you know, I use this line, um, <laughs> Allow me to just read the one sentence. We, we can begin our preparations by making a conscious daily decision to spend time in prayer with the Lord with no shortcuts and no excuses. All right, so right there, let's stop there. How many times have you and I made excuses to say, got to cut it short, got too many things to do. All right, Lord, I'll get to it later. All this stuff. You see, if you did that to your wife every day, she sits you down and say, what's going on? Is something wrong? 
But the Lord is so gracious and so kind and so merciful that he will send us gentle reminders in the spirit that he misses the time we spend with him. So he can reassure us over and over again of how much he loves us. So we have to be conscious to say, as Christians, in the upper room, we can either recommit to what we're already doing or commit to something we've not been doing. Say to the Lord, you are my priority. And I'm going to figure out what's the best time for me to pray, that is to spend time with you, whether it's at the morning, which is my time, in the evening for many people, and and just sit Begin with the words, recite the, pray the rosary, pray the novena prayers, pray the liturgy of the hours, do all of that because they're meant to dispose the mind and the heart and the will and then just sit and be. It will be remarkable what happens over time. The encouragement, the consolation, the strength, we'll begin to feel the power of the seven gifts of the Holy Spirit, wisdom and knowledge and fortitude and awe and reverence, right? The fear of the, all of that will begin when we discover that prayers are only a means to prayer. Does that make sense? Makes sense, yep. Saying prayers is not the same thing as praying no and the couple analogy is it's really illustrates it yeah absolutely and the other thing that's interesting is um we have a long history in fact we have been criticized as a church for for a long time that we de-emphasize the presence of the lord in his holy word because we have overemphasized his presence his real and true presence in the eucharist and i think that's a false charge i believe that that is nonsense, personally. But let's take it to heart, for example. Right now, in every Catholic home, there should be a Catholic Bible. Which means in every single home, and if there isn't, in the upper room, order it on Amazon and have it delivered. Step one. Okay? But if there is a Bible in your home and mine, and there are, the Lord, when we open that word, and read it in the disposition that I am describing. The Lord is truly present to us. We're not reading history. He is really present to us, right? Not as he is in the Eucharist, but nonetheless, in a true and substantial way, he's there. Yes. So for all the months that we have been in isolation and quarantine, I'm not sure how many have who long for the Eucharistic Lord could have at least sat down with his Holy Word and done the exact same thing the apostles did. Listen to him preaching. Look at his example. See the holy example of others around him to be inspired and encouraged. So part of this preparation period is I'm asking everyone, if you've already discovered it, deepen it. And if you haven't discovered it, to explore it, to use the Word of God, particularly the four Holy Gospels, as part of your prayer with the Lord, because He's literally there. <laughs> in your living room, in your bedroom, in your garage, in your car, I don't care where you do it. Yeah. He's there. Right? 
And I wonder to myself how much we can do more to help people to understand the scriptures. And one podcast we should just devote to the different senses of scripture, hmm. right? And how to break open the word of God, because there is a fundamental need that we as Catholic Christians read the scriptures in the mind of the church, meaning in the echoing of the understanding of what the scripture means from the very apostles themselves. So a Catholic reads scripture, myself, the word of God, who makes Christ present in the larger context of all the voices and people throughout the centuries who together mirror back to us the great meaning the divine meaning of what we're reading. It's not just what I think it says. It can begin there, but the true beauty is what the church, the mystical body of Christ is telling me about Christ's word, right? We should do a podcast just on that because I think it could be tremendously helpful, at least to me, I, as well yeah. as anybody who's listening. We'll do that very soon because that's a great idea. It's a great idea. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you've got the... Um, You've got, you've got the private aspect, the prayer, and then you have a, not that not that reconciliation and confession are public, but they are, uh, they are in a way public. Not you know not the actual act, but it's a public act to go to confession. Okay, so now this is where we get into the proximate preparation for the great missionary outreach, which is coming. So let me ask you, my friend, what happened to sin in the modern world? Where'd it go? People don't believe in it. Right. Exactly. Why? Why? Be I would say because they don't believe that there's a, a one truth. It's my truth versus your truth versus someone else's truth. So there's no objective standard of truth. There's no objective standard of what's right or wrong. Uh, good or evil, right? Yes. Absolutely. But then there's another piece to that puzzle. So I think that's one reason where sin has been diminished. There's another. And it is the inability for people to understand that the person and his or her actions are not equivalent. Hmm. So we live in a world that says, if you don't approve of what I do, you don't approve of me. And that is fundamentally false. Right. Because if that were the case, my mother and father would have stopped loving me as soon as I started to walk. Okay? Because I was a tyrant when I was a kid. A complete tyrant. My mother had to close. She had to lock the windows because I climb out of them. I used to hang. My great desire when I was a young kid was to hang out on the fire escape three stories up okay my mother had to in fact i used to climb on the radiator i shouldn't be saying this but i mean <laughs> i used to climb on the radiator and you know the little knob that turns the radiator on and off yes. i used to step on that to step on the radiator to climb out the window so in the summertime it was like a 900 degrees because you couldn't open the windows <laughs> i had this fascination of doing it in fact she took the knob off <laughs> And then I make holes in my shoes, believe it or not, to climb on the radio, to climb out the window, because it was like, great. It was like, you see everybody on Avenue U, it was like, great. <laughs> okay. In fact, I'll tell you a funny story. 
my mother, my mother was like a hawk for my sister and I, always around, always because she was a homemaker, best. She was the best. But one day, she left me in the care of my father. And she went across the street to the old pork store to buy the food, you know, the meats for the sauce. It was Saturday for the next day. Uh-huh. And my father was watching something. It was some ball game, probably the Mets. And the TV, the old TV, big box TV with the knob on the corner, black and white, you know, right. the size of a, a safe, <laughs> was literally between the two windows. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> and I... Climbed on the knob, on the radiator, <laughs> out the window, on the fire escape. My father had no idea. He was watching, no idea what was going on. And my mother comes out of the pork store across the street and sees me on the, I'm three stories up on the fire escape, drops her bag, is screaming. And I'm waving to her. Hi, Ma. Well, let me tell you something. My mother put me into her bedroom to have her discussion with my father. Okay. Excellency, so. wait, before before you get into the point, that's we we just need to take a break. And so we'll <laughs> we'll let the audience laugh it out a little bit for a minute and then Okay. We'll come back on okay. the other side. Okay. Catholic Radio works. And now we have it here in Connecticut and New York. It's been seen around the country that there's no better tool for evangelization. Where there's Catholic radio, the folks who listen deepen their faith. Families are strengthened. Parishes and communities flourish. So, let people know you're listening to Veritas. Tell your friends to tune in. And let's make an impact here for Jesus and his church. This is Steve Lee for Veritas Catholic Network. All right. Welcome back, everybody, to Let Me Be Frank. Um, Excellency, I didn't mean to cut you off in the middle of your point, but uh, I didn't want to cut you off at another point. No, but it illustrates what I, I was saying, you know, so I, I've done some really crazy things growing up. We all have. But our parents still loved us because they knew we were more than the sum total of the things we did. Yes. And because of the love they had for us, they corrected our actions. And we knew we didn't like it. I didn't like it. But I knew that it was done precisely because they loved me. And condemning my action, if I could use that stronger word, was not condemning me. We live in a world we don't make that distinction anymore. Okay? So now, to your point. When we go out in mission, it is the liberating, empowering, and forgiving love of God we are proclaiming to the world. Now we are saying, you're right. You see on Calvary, Christ died on Calvary, not because you deserve it, not because you merit it, not because you earn it, but because it's sheer grace. And when you look upon the crucified Christ, which we will in Lent while we're in the upper room, we have to, we have no choice but to admit the times we have failed because Christ's death allows us to do that without also being condemned before his sight. So, if we're going to go into a broken world and say your selfishness, your division, your cruelness, your harshness, your judgmental behavior 
or all of the structures that are racist and discriminatory and keep people poor and going on and on and on and on and on and vanity and pride and all the rest. We're going to go into the world and say that, that is what is preventing you from the joy and the freedom and the peace that Christ offers you. Well, how can we do that if we haven't done it to ourselves first? Yeah. Right? So I talk about the mirror here. I, 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 this quiet time could be a beautiful, particularly in Lent, it's the first half of this time in the upper room, <clears throat> is a beautiful time for us to take a, get a mirror, put it in front of ourselves and say, okay, the time has come. Like, where, where am I failing? Where am I a hypocrite in my faith? Where am I saying one thing and doing another? What is it that I have been taught is wrong, but I'm still doing anyway? You know, it's all about the desires of the heart. We've spoken about that last week, right? It's all about our inordinate or disordered desires. Because in the end, if we desire God and union with him, as John of the Cross says, then everything about our life needs to lead us to the one whom we desire. And when, therefore, I desire, as, as, as Bishop Barron says, right, privilege or power or possessions, and make that the centerpiece, then that's where the occasions of sin or actual sin occurs. Right? So what I'm suggesting is for me and for you, for all of us, this is the privileged time to get rid of the baggage. If we're going out into mission, right, then we got to get rid of all the excess baggage. Get rid of it. And in the upper room is the time to relearn how to examine your conscience, which we will send out some, some material on that. It's to admit sinfulness. And then with the creation of the centers of mercy, to have not to wait more than two days to have the opportunity to have one's confession heard and just leave it all. Say it all at once. Just say it. And if there's true contrition to say, Lord, I don't want to ever be in this position again, just to, just to receive the, the beauty, the liberating power of God to say, yeah, you know what, Frank? I knew that all along. <laughs> I saw it all. And if I had to, I'd die for you again. So are you willing to let it go for me? Inescapable choice for all of us. And Reconciliation Monday is the day, as you know, the Monday of Holy Week has become our tradition where we have confessions in most of our parishes. So if you don't want to go to a center of mercy, go there. But, but I'm, I'm suggesting for everyone to let us do this. Get rid of the baggage as step two in the preparation. to lead us to step three, which is the Holy Eucharist. Right, which is, the, which is the, uh, a trick now in, in, these, in the conditions with COVID. It's very, it is a very difficult position for many people to be in who genuinely thirst and hunger for the sacred body and blood of Jesus and cannot come to Mass. At times, because they fear for their own health, most of the time they fear for the health of the people around them. Mm -hmm. Elderly parents, sick relatives that they care for. So we can never minimize that suffering. And that suffering is itself 
a purifying event because it will deepen the love, deepen the hunger, and deeper the sense of joy and satisfaction when they can come back to Mass. Right? But there's a sense of familiarity for all of us that I am suggesting in this, that for those already at Mass, those who would be coming back to Mass, attending Mass online allows spiritual communion, but spiritual communion is not the equivalent to actual communion. So it is, it is what the Lord offers now in anticipation of what he will offer at Mass in church. Right? So that's where our goal is, to all come back into community to receive the, the Lord's body and blood. But if we've been reconciled with him and therefore are ready and worthy to receive it, we have to ask ourselves, do I truly, consciously, completely am cognizant of what I am receiving? Or better yet, who I am receiving? Familiarity breeds contempt. We've spoken about that. It's true. But I'm going to challenge in something I will be sending out. It'll be more like a pastoral guide in about a month. It's the little things that make all the difference. So I'm going to challenge the pastors. Where is the Holy Tabernacle in our churches? Hmm. For if, he is, if it is the foundation of Christian life, foundation of our ecclesial life, right? if it's the celestial food unto eternal life, if the tabernacle is not centrally located and visible, we are doing something wrong. Okay, so that's step one. Step two, when you come into church, how do you acknowledge the Lord's presence? I remember... I remember being taught by my mother to genuflect before I went into the pew. I don't even remember how old I was. I was tiny. And my mother would sit there patiently. She was already in the pew. Okay. And after she knelt, said her prayers, sat down, she, we would practice genuflecting. You know, and I'd fall over on my face and all the rest of it. And she'd laugh about it and stuff. And this was... This was sometimes even when we went to, like my mother would bring me to daily mass too when I was young. She'd drop off my sister, we'd go to daily mass. Because in my mother's mind, you don't have to study the catechism to teach a little boy that when you come and kneel, you're doing something important. Yeah. Okay? When the President of the United States comes into the room, you stand. Mm-hmm. When the Queen of England comes into a room, you stand. When you go into the presence of the Lord Jesus, you kneel. And it, just as simple as that reawakens the depth and breadth and beauty of who it is that's here in as the Eucharistic Lord. And they will be much more in practical terms to supplement this as we stay in the upper room. But these are some of the things that I think people need to, 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 to remember. More, if I may, more. 
How many times have we forgotten to come to Mass early enough to prepare spiritually for what's about to happen? How many times have we allowed the sign of peace to distract us the way we celebrate it now, and we are online and have already received communion before we even gave it a thought that this is what we're doing? How many times, I cannot tell you, my friend, I've been giving out Holy Communion and people are looking at their watches, even looking at their phones, looking around church, and here they are, and they're encountering the Lord Jesus like, good morning, and? (laughs) And I don't mean flipping about it. I'm not being flippant because that's part of human nature. We do become forgetful because we also take for granted the people we love. It happens everywhere. It's part of who we are, right? But go back to your place, my place. What prayer of thanksgiving do we use? Having received the Lord. What do we actually pray? See, these are the sort of things that in this time of preparation, I want everyone to give thought to, to really reflect on. How do you, in the end, in word and in action, recognize, reverence, accept, welcome this Eucharistic Lord in your life? So your guidelines will be not just for pastors and parishes it will be and it won't just and i assume there'll have be some apologetics and catechetics in there but it will also be these practical steps when you're approaching communion you should be thinking this you shouldn't be thinking about work or be angry with this person right right you know what's interesting interesting um covid has actually slowed down the communion line And if there is six feet of separation, by slowing it down actually helps anyone to be more reflective as to what he or she is about to receive. When pre-COVID, you were literally behind the next person. Mm -hmm. Now, if you're six feet, you have those three or four seconds to walk up and recollect what it is that is happening. Interesting, an unforeseen consequence of the pandemic. Or if you're going to have to remove your mask to actually receive the Eucharist, again, there's a a moment when you're stopping that can help you to recollect. So the norms are going to be, there'll be two exhortations, uh, two two pastoral aids, if you will. One is on reconciliation that will be coming out in a couple of weeks. And it's going to talk about the sacrament itself, Mm -hmm. how one examines their conscience, how to get prepared for for the sacrament. And then for Eucharist, it will be a theological exposition of the nature of the Eucharist and some practical ways to strengthen the spirituality in real terms of that which we believe. So both will, one will come in March, one will come in April. Okay. And in your exhortation that you released last week, I noticed there was a line in there and you wrote um, that uh, part of this uh, requires a, a proper disposition by the celebrant of mass and the lay faithful yes. like in order to create a beautiful and reverent celebration of the mass. Right. And, you know, there's different styles, you know, quote, like I, mm-hmm. I prefer Latin and chant. My 18-year-old son prefers praise and worship. They are all licit and and can be good 
Um, but there are some aspects, right, Excellency, of beauty and reverence that are kind of universal. Yes. So let's get into controversy, shall we? <laughs> okay. When the Mass, when Trent uh, approved the, what we consider now the extraordinary form, don't you think it's interesting that the Kyrie was left in Greek? Since Kyrie eleison, Christe eleison, Kyrie eleison is Greek. Hmm. Because there was the intuition that it is part of our heritage. And we cannot forget that heritage. So, when the Mass went into the vernacular, there was an opportunity to do the same thing, and many times we did not. And now my counsel is to rediscover that basic principle. So in a reverent and beautiful celebration of Mass, in my mind, if the Lord have mercy is going to be sung, occasionally, periodically, perhaps all the time, it should be sung in Greek. And there are parts of the Mass that can easily be um, taught, at least, for example, the Lamb of God, that can remain in Latin so that people remember where we came from. Right? So your son and you both have intuitions that can marry, that can marry. Mm -hmm. You can have Mass where there's beautiful polyphony chant where your participation is active listening and disposition of the heart. And you can also have uh, praise and worship where you are singing the words and engaged in a different way because participation can take many different forms. So when I say reverent and beautiful celebration of Mass, I am not suggesting that there is only, like you said very well, one way to, to do that. But my suggestion is and what the exhortation, what the, the, the pastoral company will say is, the more inclusive, the more universal, the more Catholic our celebrations are, the more reverent and beautiful they become. Does that make sense? Makes sense, yep, yep. Right? Yeah, yeah. So in a sense, in, in my family, what I find interesting is that Unbeknownst to me, we did exactly that by blending English and Italian. Hmm. When I was growing up, my parents always spoke Italian. Only in her latter years did my mother speak English on a regular basis. But growing up, and we spoke English. So you couldn't escape the fact that I was an Italian-American. <laughs> but, but I never really thought of myself as an Italian-American. I right. thought of myself as a, as a kid from Brooklyn. Yeah, yep. But, but my heritage was part of my psyche, my imagination, simply because part of my life retained the language my parents spoke. Yeah. Let alone the traditions and customs. So as a, as a, as a beautiful family that we are, why wouldn't we do the same thing then? Yeah, it's a great point. I grew up with my parents speaking Korean all the time in the house. Now... My kids, I don't speak Korean very well, and my wife isn't Korean. She's Lebanese, 
And but we're always they know that you know they're all, all you ask all, any of the three of them. I'm American. I'm American, which is true. And we're always saying, don't forget your heritage. It's Korean and right. Lebanese. Without a doubt, and, and, and a doubt, and that's a rich heritage because just the, the the cultural diversity between the two of you, right? Yes. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. So again, I, I'm not suggesting um, uh, something dramatic and draconian. I'm suggesting that everyone who reads this pastoral exhortation, particularly in the question of the Eucharist, um, give thought as to where have I taken it for granted? Where have I not been prepared correctly? Where have, or do I understand what I even claim to believe? Yeah. And use this time to, to strengthen that. And for the celebration of Mass, that is a conversation that is going to be ongoing for the next few years between clergy and faithful. Sure. I want to ask you also, Excellency, uh, so in, um, in the fourth part of your pastoral exhortation, yep. you say that um, we need to be prepared to re-enter the larger world as courageous missionaries of the gospel. And you spoke about that earlier this hour as well. Uh, just, and I know you're going to come out with more details later, but just kind of give us an idea. Is this training? Is this going to be through Patrick Donovan's group? Um, right. Or... Okay. So now I think for the vast majority of us, it is going to be a constant calling back to the spiritual foundations of life. So you want to be an ambassador of Christ to your family, be a good holy father, a good holy mother, a good sister to a brother. All right. Remain faithful, joyful, focused on the things that matter, the spiritual goods. Don't be afraid to talk about your faith. Don't be afraid to challenge people who don't hold the faith, right? Be steadfast. That's everybody's mission through baptism and confirmation. But then there are gonna be some who are gonna be co-workers with pastors and co-workers with me, the truly brave and courageous, right? With me <laughs> to be able to go out in specific ambassadorial outreach. Some examples. I would like to lower the age of confirmation to the sixth grade because our efforts in middle school and high school have not yielded fruit commensurate with the work that's being done into it because we need a new model. We need one that engages the whole young person, right? I need coworkers who will go out with these young people and explore that new model. I need young adults who are going to enter into a network of other young Catholics in centers we're going to create. One, for example, of entrepreneurship. Hmm. That young people starting out will have mentors who are Catholic and faithful, who have been wildly successful in life, who will teach them how to be successful in business in a hands-on approach. And to them, I'm going to say, solve the problem of hunger in Fairfield County hmm. and create non-for-profit businesses that will be able to address that problem in small places, in small ways. We already have 11 different ideas to present to that hardy group to start this. No different than we have to create a center, okay, perhaps virtual, perhaps in in, 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 in physical place to explore the truth of Catholic faith, 
So we give young adults the opportunity to learn what the faith really teaches, not what CNN tells us it teaches. Yeah. Okay, and it's beauty, right? And it's sublimity. It's, it's a sublime, holistic, comprehensive view of all things. That's what faith is. Yeah. And its sister, reason, strengthens it. Not weakens it. Yes. Right? And then there's so many other things. So so some of this, as, as these things begin to get finalized in our podcast, I'm going to give people a glimpse of where we're going. And my idea is we're not going to start with 100 initiatives. We're going to start with a few. And then we will grow from those to others. Because we don't want to overwhelm anyone. But we're going to allow the spirit to say, okay, ladies and gentlemen, you went down this road. But this is not the road you should be going down. Try this one. Mm-hmm. And we'll know by its fruit. Yeah. Yeah. But that's... nothing is going to stop this. Nothing. Okay. We'll supplant this. When we get to the next exhortation in June, I'm going to have specific challenges such as, are people willing to commit when they go to mass to make it their business every week to introduce themselves to somebody new every Sunday? or to learn their someone else's name every Sunday? Is a parish willing to commit itself to call its parishioners, all its parishioners, every month? How are you doing? Well, I just got a diagnosis of breast cancer. We're there. You're on our list. Yeah. I mean, it may sound like it's a crazy thing, but it's not. Those simple things make all the difference of being an ambassador to Jesus Christ. My church called me. They called me. They're praying for me. Yeah. Suddenly, I'm not facing breast cancer all by myself. Especially if you're elderly. Now, suddenly, the whole community. Yeah. See what I mean about being an ambassador? That's a whole different mindset for us as Catholics. Yeah. That we have to develop. I, I love it. It's truly strengthening the body of Christ, which is us. We are. That's us. Right. Right. And, yeah, I, I just, I love that. You know, if if Christ has, has rescued you and made a difference in your life, in our gratefulness, in our gratitude, and in the way we change our living, then we need to go back out and tell other people so that they can be, we need to rescue them. Yeah. Right. Right. And, and in the gospels, how many times were people healed and they went out to tell everybody? Yes. Yep. Even when the Lord told them in the gospel, Mark, don't do it. They did because the impulse was it, it, it's because your life is, it's just been, you were dead and now come back to life. Yes. Right. Yeah. Same thing. Right. I have, and, uh, go ahead, Excellency. No, I was just going to mention St. Joseph here. Yes. Right. Because mm-hmm. I'm going to invite everyone on our podcast to join either to go to their home parish or to join me online if they cannot get into St. Augustine's for the consecration of the diocese to St. Joseph, because I cannot imagine a better intercessor than Joseph as we go into the upper room. Quiet, yep. faithful, persevering, dutiful to do what was required of him. So uh, we're going to have a novena online for nine nights before to St. Joseph and then the actual consecration. So I'm going to ask everyone to, to be mindful, 7 o'clock, 19th of March, the Feast of Joseph, Husband of Mary, 
to join in the consecration. And there is a plenary indulgence from Rome for those who participate as well. And more details. You'll send more details about all of that. To all the pastors, right? For the bulletins. Yes, absolutely. It's fantastic. Okay, Excellency, let's take one more break. We'll come back with a listener question when we, uh, on the other side. Why do we need Catholic radio? Because not everybody's sitting in front of a computer or watching their television set at home. How about when driving to work? How about while at work at your desk? Catholic radio is there for you. I may be a Catholic priest, but I'm still a student of the faith. And Catholic radio helps supply good material, whether it be a question and answer format show, whether it be a show itself on doctrine or theology. I myself, as a priest, am always learning. All right, welcome back to Let Me Be Frank with Bishop Frank Caggiano. Excellency, you've got a cool question here. Uh, it's an email from Matt, and his question is, how are we supposed to read stories in the Bible like the creation and Jonah and the whale? Mm-hmm. So it's a great question because it speaks about um, the nature of truth. Because we live in a world that is so impoverished that we understand the truth to be equivalent of facts. And therefore, the newspaper in the old days, when they tried to be objective, that was the truth because it just told you the facts. In fact, though, truth is deeper, broader, and more beautiful than that. So when you read the stories of creation or Jonah or Noah, if you read them with the perspective that you're reading a newspaper and looking for facts, you're reading it from the wrong perspective. Rather, there are fundamental truths that are being conveyed through this medium, which is this story, which has a very classic form in the scriptures. And it is that basic truth that the Lord wishes to convey to us. So that in fact, when it comes to creation, that all that exists owes itself to the gracious, free love of God who called it into existence to serve him, to reflect his life and love. That is the purpose of why we exist. The creation story makes it because it says, he saw it and it was good. And who is goodness himself but God? So sometimes in the contemporary world, we get caught up with, well, scientifically, how could that be, blah, 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 and all the rest of it. But that would be like reading the cards I would send to my mother telling her I loved her with the, a newspaper's eye to say, well, where are the facts? Well, I don't, it's not a question of facts. It's a question of, yeah, it's true. I knew it was true. Same thing here. So those stories are true because they're conveying a basic fundamental truth and they're using that medium and don't read them from the, the modern perspective or bias that if it's not factual, it's not true because that's just simply a lie. Right. Does that make sense? It makes sense because the Bible is not one book. It's a library of 73 books, all different styles, but they're all true. Correct. Yeah. Right. Correct. Correct. Right. Awesome. Okay. 
So if you're listening and you have a question for Bishop Frank, please send it in to us. You can send it in on social media or you can email questions at veritascatholic.com. Bishop Frank Caggiano is on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. So is Veritas Catholic Network. Uh, Excellency, would you please give us your blessing? Absolutely. In the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord our God, as we've begun this Lenten journey and continue to walk in your footsteps, may your Holy Spirit bless, guide, and protect us and all those whom we love. For we ask this in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. I'll see you next week, my friend. Thanks, Excellency. See ya. Enjoy. Stay safe.